0: Today's scripture reading comes from Luke chapter 6 verses 1 through 11, which is also on page 8 of your bulletin. On a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, What are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him? how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those with him. And he said to them, The Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath, so that they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts, and he said to the man with the withered hand, Come and stand here. And he rose and stood there. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them, all he said to them, all he said to him, Stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. This is the word of the Lord.
1: We're closing out the book of Genesis uh, with a um, just, a, a, I guess, a, talking about one of our core values here at Metro Presbyterian Church, which is creativity, how God has designed and created each one of us in a unique way to reflect his glory and um, <clears throat> also to reflect his character. And, and this passage, um, are we, as we uh, look at, it's very closely tied to Genesis chapter 1 and 2, and we're going to start by looking at the book of Luke. We're going to kind of delve into parts of Genesis and, and, and really see how um, the gospel actually shapes the way we work. If we're going to talk about creativity, we have to talk about the work of our hands. And we have to talk about rest. Now, the, the book of Luke, the gospel according to Luke, teaches us what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, what it means to follow him. Uh, What it means to take the gospel. You know, Jesus' disciples, they basically learned what it means to take the gospel and plant it, basically, in all the different areas of their lives. That's what it means to be a disciple. And this passage um, takes place on the Sabbath, on the day of worship, and um, really addresses our relationship to work and rest. And I was heavily influenced, if you've been a part of our community groups, we're reading Tim Keller's Every Good Endeavor together as a community, And um, just really influenced in uh, what he has to say and what he shared um, about our relationship to work and rest. Tremendous passage. Every one of us has a different relationship to our work. Some of us are looking for work. Some of us are struggling with just discipline in the workplace. And, um, you know, the city as large as Philadelphia, one of the biggest problems that we experience is rest finding rest sabbath rest and yet in this passage if you read if you read uh genesis chapter two one and two in the call to worship particularly god rested god rests and he calls us to rest you know exodus chapter 20 one of his commandments i'm going to read exodus chapter 20 verses eight and on remember the sabbath day to keep it holy What does it mean to find rest? What does it mean to bring um, uh, to repair or bring to repair our relationship with our work by resting in Christ? So there are three points in this text we're going to see. And it addresses just that, our relationship to work and rest. Why we need it, where do we find it, and how do we practice it? Why we need rest because we desperately need rest. Where do we find it? Where do we get this rest? And how do we practice it? First, why do we need it? Remarkable passage. Jesus and his disciples are walking through a grain field, and his disciples are hungry. So what do they do? They pick these uh, heads of grain, and they start to rub it between their hands, um, because that's how you kind of separate the grain heads, uh, what's inside, to get what's inside, and they start to eat it. And the Pharisees condemn them. They're being condemned, basically, because the Pharisees say, you know, it's unlawful for you to reap on the Sabbath. You're not supposed to reap on the Sabbath. And so this is forbidden. And on this official day of rest, which is what the Sabbath is, um, you're supposed to rest. They had a particular set of laws designed around maintaining this, this official day of rest. And, you know, we look at this and we say, how legalistic is that? How legalistic? But notice, Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus doesn't turn around, look at the Pharisees and say, you know, you guys are such legalistic people. You're so bound by the laws. That's not what he says. In fact, what he does is he affirms the Sabbath. He doesn't say, you know, the Son of Man does away with the Sabbath. That's not what he says. What he says is, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. In other words, the Son of Man, Jesus, is what the Sabbath is all about. One of the most crucial things in life one of the things that makes life uh human one of the things that makes life human is uh this concept of rest and uh our relationship you know we're so miserable we're so miserable because we don't get enough rest we're overworked and and uh, our relationship to work is just completely out of whack we can all uh, appreciate at least that notion um when we think of rest we think that rest is just a stoppage of work Stoppage of uh, physical work. But the religious experts, they knew a lot more than that. They knew it was a lot deeper than that. They knew that we need to find rest because we have to interrupt in some way the ceaseless, the endless striving, the inner working that we do. Internally, there's this desire to always prove ourselves. And as a result, we, we have to stop that. It, re- it requires intentional effort for us to be able to stop work in that, in that sense. Work is can easily be abused in our lives, and we can easily in turn be re- abused by our work in our lives. So it's a life or death thing. We understand it's a life or death thing. If you don't rest well, you actually become less human. You feel less human. Um, when you're working when you should be resting, when you're resting when you should be working, it could ruin your family. It, it will ruin your finances. It will throw your entire system out of order. It will, um, it will affect you even in your personal character and your health. So it takes tremendous discipline, tremendous maturity. It takes a certain type of person to be able to rest well. Now, in this modern context, we need it all the more. You can certainly appreciate that. There's several reasons why we need rest today more than we've ever had. And, and, and here it goes. One, more and more today, our jobs have become insecure in our day, in our economy. Um, in just a global, um, in our global stratosphere, our jobs have become more insecure, and uh, as a result, today uh, at the same time, we're, it's compounded by the fact that today the people at the top of the um, the structure in any organization in the workplace are sometimes make a hundred to two hundred times more than the people at the bottom, and at any point in time, this is because of that they're looked upon wherever we are, we're looked upon and we're measured based on our productivity. There's a tremendous need to produce because at any point in time, the person right under you will be willing to work that much harder to take your place. So there's a ceaseless, endless desire or desperate need to work. The third reason is because of technology. Today, you can work anywhere. And because you can work anywhere, we work everywhere all the time. And lastly, our culture today... More than the culture in our, uh, or a society, you know, 50 years ago, 50 years ago, a society defined themselves um, uh, through their connection with their families, through their name. But today, we, are define, we define ourselves by what we do, our career, our profession, our work, and how good we are at our jobs. Um, so um, we are the first cu- culture today that says, I choose to define myself by what I do. In fact, usually when you meet somebody for the first time, the first question you ask is, you know, 50 years ago, they asked what family you were from. Today we ask, what do you do? What do you do? And as a result, we're overworking like crazy. Everybody here, we're overworking like crazy. We're more desperate today uh, than ever for work, uh, for rest, because we're so desperate to work in our lives today. And, um, and that's what's addressed by the Sabbath, this notion of work. Work is more than just what we do physically. It's a sp- there's a spiritual connection between ourselves and our work. We are spiritually tied to our work. It's a spiritual thing. It impacts our soul. It impacts our heart. And and before sin, and, and that's because before sin ever entered the world, before there was ever sin in the world, there was work, and there was rest. God created. And God rested before sin ever entered the world. And we were created uh, to reflect that same glory, that same character, that same image. And so as a result today, because of sin, because our lives are broken in sin, we're constantly working. Our work is broken. And as a result, we're working harder. And our rest is broken. And as a result, we're overworked and we're working harder. And so, uh, you know, in order to be restored, we need more than just physical rest. We need more than sleep. We need a soulful, a deep, satisfying, soulful rest in our lives. On one hand, we need physical rest. But on the other hand, there's this deeper work beneath the work that we need to satisfy. This desire to prove ourselves. This is the reason why we're working tirelessly. This is the reason why work is so difficult. This is the reason why we're so anxious in the workplace. We need to find, you know, our lives, what we do is never enough. Our accomplishments are never enough. We need, and vacations are not going to solve that problem. You know, your time off is not going to solve that problem. It's only going to heal you physically in some ways. We need a rest of the soul. There's a movie in the 1980s, won the Academy Award for Best Picture, called Chariots of Fire. And in Chariots of Fire, you have Eric Little. Eric Little, who's a Christian. And uh, when he runs, he was a track star. And when he runs, he says, when I run, God has made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. He's resting. He has found his rest, his satisfaction, deeply in the satisfaction of God for him. But uh, the counterpart, his counterpart, the man he raced against um, is Harold Abrams. And Harold Abrams is talking to his friend, and as he's preparing for the Olympics, they both ran. It's a true story, actually. They both ran in the Olympics. He says that I have 10 seconds to justify my existence. And, he's, and it's, it's odd because, you know, he, he's, he's running and he's doing what he's good at and he's doing what everybody acknowledges him to be great at. And yet he says, at one point he says, you know, I used to be afraid of losing. But now I'm almost afraid because he's approaching that day. He says, I'm almost afraid of winning. He's never resting. He's never at rest. We have a tremendous need for the deep rest of the soul. We need it more than ever. That's the first point. The second point is, where do we find it? Where do we find our rest? They say, you know, the Pharisees, they come to Jesus, they say, you're violating the law, you're violating the regulations. And he responds. He responds with something that comes out of 1 Samuel chapter 21. He says, When David and his men entered into the place of worship and they were hungry, they ate the bread that was reserved only for the priests, only particular people who were allowed to eat of this bread. Yet they ate it and they were not condemned for it. They were not condemned. David was never condemned for it, even though he broke the law. And he's inviting us right now to understand the implications of that. He's basically saying, In some cases... These laws, these regulations, I can, just, just like that, I can just, just set it aside. The Sabbath law, I can set it aside. There's no place in the Bible, you will never find a place in the Bible where the moral law is ever set aside, just like that. But Jesus here says, the Sabbath law, I can set it aside, just like that. David, in the Old Testament, set it aside, just like that. And that that's a precedence for us. And whenever you see that, whenever you see Jesus setting aside a particular type of law, what he's saying is that these laws are provisional. These laws are temporary. what I mean by that is that these laws come to an end when something arrives or someone arrives to take its place. And he says here, Jesus, he says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. I am the one that the Sabbath regulations point to. I am the reason that these Sabbath regulations are obsolete. He doesn't say we do away with the Sabbath. But he says, I am the Lord of rest. I can give you rest. This is an amazing thing. Later on in verse 11, the Pharisees hear this. They want to kill him. They want to plan, they want to, they plan, they're plan. they planning his destruction. He says, I can give you rest if you would just come to me. If you're not resting, you haven't come. If you haven't experienced that deep satisfaction of the soul that deep rest of the soul, you haven't come to Jesus. Similarly, if you think you've come to Him, if you think you've gone to Him, but you're not resting, that means you've come to Jesus for something else, and it's not rest. And that's why you're still working, and you're still working, and you're, still, you're still trying to prove yourself to the world that you're acceptable and that you're worthy. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, it's in your call to worship, printed in your call to worship, to chapter 2, verse 3. We see that God rested on the Sabbath. That's, that, was, that always never made sense to me. How could God, who never gets tired, rest? Why does he need to rest? In this passage, in chapter 1, day by day, God creates the world. He fashions the world. And after every day, he looks at what he created, and he says, and it was good. Every day he creates something, he says, it was good, and it was good. And it was good. And by the time we get to that passage that's printed in your call to worship, he says, now we've arrived at the sixth day. He creates, and he says, it's good. And on the seventh day, what is he doing? He's looking back at all that he's created. And he says, it's very good. There's this tremendous satisfaction from looking at everything that he's created. And he says, it was very good. In actual, in actual Hebrew, it's, it's good, good. They didn't have superlatives. So he says, "This is good, good. It's very, very good." And and uh, what is he doing here? He's created us in our. He's created us in his image. And you know, to be to be resting is to say that you've looked at. You know, no matter what you do, no matter what you're being compensated, it's to look every week. You're looking at what you've done, the work of your hands. It could be intellectual property. You know, nothing tangible that you're holding. Or it could be something you're literally fashioning with your own hands. It's to be able to look at what you've created. You You are reflecting the image of God, your creator, when you say, and you look at all you've done, and you say, it is good. It is finished. It is good. That's what it means to rest. God being able to look at all that he's created and says, you know, it is very good. If God can't be tired, why does he rest? What he's saying is, I'm satisfied. I'm deeply satisfied in my creation. I've created man in my own image. I can rest. That's what it means. The only way that you'll ever stop working is is to be satisfied by what you're doing. That's the way that you stop working. That's the only way that you can stop yourself. That's the only way you can lay down what you're doing. That's why in Hebrews chapter 4, The author of Hebrews states that there still remains today a Sabbath rest unto the Lord. There still remains a Sabbath rest. What is a Christian? A Christian is somebody who can look at his life, who can look at himself, who can look at his work, what he's done, and he can look at it the way God looks at his own work. God is deeply satisfied. He has chosen to rest and say it is good. That's what a Christian is through jesus you can look at yourself you can look at your life and you can be absolutely satisfied you can say it is finished it is good it is very good all the work that i need to do has already been finished that's that's what a christian is you know leisure activity vacations these things will will, you know they'll they can rest the outer person but the only way that you'll be able to rest the inner person look at look at god he's able to be satisfied He doesn't end the day and say, oh, I should have done better. I could have done better. I need to do better. That's not God. God is not insecure. He's completely satisfied in what he's done. These religious ceremonies, what the Pharisees were pointing to, they were provisional. They tell a story. On one hand, the religious experts, they knew that, you know, it's not just outer, that there has to be some ceaseless end to the striving. That's what the religious experts knew. That's what these ceremonies were designed for. But the, that the Sabbath calls us to honor the image of God. We've been created in the image of God, and we honor that in our creativity, in, our, in the work of our hands. You are to build, you are to create, you are to exercise your gifts, but at the same time, we are called to rest. We are to be satisfied in what we've done. We are dishonoring God no matter where we are in our work at the end of the week when we say, I need to keep going at it, I need to keep working, I'm not satisfied with where where I am, that's a dishonor. Our work is so broken that we will never, if you place your identity in the work itself, you will never be satisfied. You will always be working. Even when you're resting, your mind will be preoccupied. You will always be disturbed. You will always feel the need to do more, to work harder. So the issue is not necessarily the presence of work. Work was around since before sin existed in the world. The issue is that we have an absence of rest. We are using our work to define who we are. That's the problem. That's the brokenness. We are using our work to say, "Uh, look at me. I am important. I am unique. This is why I've been created. And we're doing it by our doing, by our need to continue doing. You know, the religious person does it this way. He says, if I'm just a good person, if I just live a good life, and if I just do good work, then I will be blessed. Then I can feel acceptable to God. But the secular person, the irreligious person says, if I'm, you know, I'm going to set standards for myself because I just need to pursue these things because this is what defines me. It could be my relationships. It could be the forging of new relationships, the forging of new connections, building my network, where it could be just the work itself, and I'm going to work, and I'm going to work, and my life is just filled with work. Our self-image is resting on our accomplishments, what we're doing. That's how I'm going to feel acceptable. That's how I'll feel approved. That's how I'll feel in. We're always trying to finish the work. We're always trying to finish the work, and we're never going to be finished. Your work will never be enough. Your work will never be enough. You're never going to be able to look at your circumstances and say, it is good. You're never going to be able to say, it is finished. Jesus, Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30, he says, come to me. Are you tired? He says, come to me. You can rest. The Hebrews writer says, there still remains a Sabbath rest. Everyone is trying to get their identity through something. But only Jesus says, only through me can you really find it. Can you really be able to look at yourself, look at your work, look at everything that you've created and say, it is good. How do you see that? How do you appropriate that? How do you apply that? In verse 5, Jesus says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath, meaning come to me, I will give it to you. You know, I own this. I own rest. I can give it to you. I can dispense it to you. But in saying that, in verse 11, he knows what is going to happen. In verse 11, the Pharisees come together. Pharisees come together and they say, we need to do something about him. He's, by saying that he is Lord of the Sabbath, he is claiming to be God. We have to kill him. We have to destroy him. And uh, that's what they wanted to do. But get this. By them killing Jesus, they've established him as the Lord of the Sabbath. On the cross, what do you see? Jesus is writhing. Jesus is laboring. Jesus is crying out. Jesus is, is looking up to the heavens. He's saying, why? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know, in the Psalms, it says that the wicked will always labor. There's a psalm that talks about how the wicked are like the sea. They will never rest like the sea. And here's Jesus. You know, he's crying out. He's crying out. He's laboring. and He's, he's experiencing the infinite restlessness. And he's saying, he's looking up and he's seeing, you know, his, his hands are nailed to the cross. He's, he's nailed to the cross. He's got a crown of thorns. He has given up everything that has defined them to that point. And he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In other words, the reason why I work, I'm, and just I'm, my God has turned away from me. He's satisfied in his creation, but he has turned away from me. He is deeply unsatisfied with me. He has forsaken me. He has forgotten me. Look at the work of my hands and look what it has gotten me. I am suffering. I am tortured. I am crucified to a cross and I am dying. My treasure, my source of worth, my, my center has turned away from me. Jesus was poor. On the cross, Jesus lost his title. On the cross, Jesus lost his position. On the cross, Jesus lost his place of honor. We work because we fear bankruptcy. Jesus became cosmically bankrupted on the cross for our sake. Second, uh, Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. You know, we say in the Psalms, the wicked, they will never rest. Jesus on the cross became wicked. God made him who had no sin to become sin. He became the wicked. That's why he's working. That's why he's restless. To become sin for us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's how we were appropriated. Everyone who turns away from God, they experience infinite restlessness. But Jesus on the cross says, it is finished. All the doing that needs to be done is done. I've done the work. I've canceled the debt because I've paid the debt. That's what he's saying. And God, you know, for the the perfectionist, you know, God does not overwork you. It's done. It's finished. If you're a perfectionist, it's finished. For those of us who've experienced failure, deep failures in our lives, we can say it is finished. Because Jesus on the cross says He is, he is I am satisfied. The debt is paid. God never overworks us. We can rest in God's work, in Christ's work on the cross for us. When you're a Christian, what you're saying is, accept me, not on the basis of my success but what Jesus accomplished on the cross. Not on the basis of my good works. You know, Martin Luther says a Christian is someone who, not, who doesn't just, uh, just pray against what is damnable to him, you know, the bad works, the evil that he does, but his damnable good works as well. Not on my good works. A Christian is someone who says, you know, I'm not judged, uh, you know, accept me not based on my good works, but on Christ's good work. Not on my record, but on Christ's record. Not on my accomplishments, but what Christ has accomplished for me on the cross. That's what a Christian is. Jesus was restless on the cross. Jesus struggled on the cross. Jesus labored on the cross. Jesus worked on the cross. Jesus endured to the end. He had no peace to the end. And when he died, he says, it is finished. And that is significant. You know, in the Apostles' Creed, it says that Jesus, he sits on the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. He sits. The high priest never sat down after he completed the work. It was because it was provisional. He was a wait. He himself, the high priest, was waiting for the one who would come to complete the work once and for all. And Jesus says, "It is finished." He sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. Eric Little, chariots of fire. Right. He eventually became a missionary to China, and you know he says, uh, you know, the whole movie centers around the Sabbath. Well, actually, the climax of the movie, because here's this medalist, this gold, this potential gold medalist you know, who's, who's running the race. And he finally gets, makes it to the Olympics and finds out that the Olympics, his race is going to be run on a Sunday. And he says, I refuse to run. He actually refuses to run. This is a true story. So on one hand, you have this man who says, I'm willing to sacrifice everything that I've worked for, you know, because I've already found my deep satisfaction in the fact that Christ is satisfied with me. But on the other hand, you, he's juxtaposed the one man who's so insecure because little beat him in a race. Now that he's kind of out of the way. This man, he's so confident. And yet, before the race, he confides in his friend that he's, number one, he's not content. He said, I've, contentment, I've never known him. I've never known it, he says. He says, I will look down that corridor four feet ri- wide with ten seconds to justify my existence. But will I? Will I? Ten seconds to justify my existence, but will I justify it? He's still working. He's still working. He's afraid of winning. You know, work will never be enough unless we find ourselves in Christ. Now, I'm going to go through this very quickly, the last point. How do we practice it? You know, um, this last portion of the text here in Luke chapter 6, Jesus heals a man on the Sabbath. The Pharisees come to him, and they, again, they accuse him. And, and, um, and Jesus basically says here that um, the practice of the Sabbath is necessary. But what's the whole point of the Sabbath? Why do we come and worship here? It's to find and experience restoration. It's to reacquaint ourselves, to, to become reintimated with this deep satisfaction that we found in Christ. To know that Jesus is satisfied in his work on the cross for our sakes. To know that God in his creation of us, we can find recreation in knowing that God is now saying, he looks at us and says, it is good. His fi- face is shining on us because he has turned away. His face is turned away from Christ. We can trust in that. We have to appropriate that. How do we do that? You have to do the inner disciplines First. It doesn't start with the physical, because if you start with the physical, you're never going to find rest. You have to find, there the are inner disciplines that we have to practice, so that those outer disciplines have, have, you know, will take effect. It'll take effect in those outer disciplines, and we can actually then find rest wholly and completely. I'm going to say things, I'm going to go through this very quickly. First, we, I, I wish I could elaborate it more, and maybe I'll do that on another Sunday, but number one, we have to see the inner disciplines. We have to see Sabbath as liberation. We have to see it as a liberation. You know what what a slave is? A slave is someone who never rests. He's always working. But we have been set free. We've been set free. We were once chained to always have to prove ourselves, to make ourselves acceptable before God, but now we are set free. And as a result of that, we can rest. Our Sabbath, our practice of the Sabbath is our way of saying, the rest of the world has one more day to be productive. But we have found rest. We are free from that need to do that. Can you do that? Can you practice that deliberately one day a week? Just abstain and stop working? The second one is we practice Sabbath as a dependence on God. That we realize what we're saying is we're not in control. We thought I, was in, I thought I was in control of my career. I thought I was in control of my work. But I am not in control of my future. I am not the true provider of my future. Only God is. And he's telling me to rest. He's telling me to trust him. Thirdly, we see our Sabbath as an act of deep, Satisfaction, deep satisfaction in God's love for me, God's love for us. That when you can say, you know, God is deeply satisfied in me, to be able to rest in that, to put your weight, you know, how you, if, you're, if you're struggling with your work, to be able to say, I'm deeply satisfied in knowing that Jesus has done the work and God is satisfied in me. There's a pastor, uh, an this anecdote, a story, there's a pastor, um, uh, down, down south, uh, out, out in Maryland, who once said that when he goes to sleep, you know, he thinks about, he, you know, people count sheep, you know, when they can't sleep. Well, when he's, in, when he's going to sleep, he starts to think about all the bad things, all the ways that he's failed throughout the day. And he recounts them one by one, at least the ones that he knows. And each one of those things he counts. He says, okay, I did this today. Oh, Christ has covered over that. I did this today, oh! But Christ has covered over that, and he's fading off into his sleep. As he's fading off into his sleep, he starts to recount the good things that he's done. You know, I did this today. I accomplished this today, and you know what? Christ has covered over that too. And I did this today, and Christ has covered over that too. Will you lay down your deadly doing? And, and trust all these things that Christ has covered over all these things. That's what it means to be satisfied. The outward practices. Very quickly, the outward practices. First, we have to rest more. You have to take more Sabbath. You have to take more Sabbath. Secondly, uh, we have to balance our Sabbath. And the way we balance it is like this one, through avocation. You know, your physical activities, sports, vacations, you've got to do that. Secondly, you've got to balance that with contemplative rest. Meditate. Meditate on the, on the word. Remind yourself of who you are daily, regularly through the word. Thirdly, you have to balance that with worship. Worship rest. Plug into community. Worship privately and worship in community. Plug into a small group. You know, our small groups are designed so that we who are struggling in community, struggling with rest, you know, because we're all overworked, can share and strategize and talk and, and pray for one another. It's not enough to just build community with one person in this church. You know, that's not enough. You are not reflecting the character of God, it's the whole of the community. God has opened his own image up to the whole of our community. Plug into community plug into worship, plug into uh, enjoy and experience more rest. Fourthly, you have to balance that with inactive rest. You know, in, in the in Leviticus, even the land was called to rest. We have to, you know, there's a period of time, a time of observation, where the Israelites had to actually rest from everything and let the ground run fallow. You know, and so it's kind of like reminiscent of letting the ground kind of return to its Garden of Eden state, where it's just running wild. And they were called to do that during the time of observance. What does that mean, inactivity? Vegging out. It's important to do that, to rest even your mind. Um, another one example, um, I can go on and on. Inject Sabbath into your work. While you're working, you have to remind yourself daily. In your work, you have to catch yourself. And you know how you do that? You have to deliberately limit your productivity. Now that's a very, very tough thing to practice. You have to set Reasonable expectations, so that you can prevent yourself from overworking. Before we pray, I I have to share a little bit about myself because this is uh, this is something that I'm going to struggle with for the rest of my life. I'm addicted to work. You know, you're a pastor. I'm addicted to my work. You know, um, I you know I'm addicted to the Red Sox and I'm addicted to work. You know, so on a good day, I have the Red Sox on TV and I'm working. And I'm working, and I'm working into the night. And, and uh, my wife, incredibly gracious, sometimes, you know, she has days where she lets me do that, you know. But the thing is, one of the things that I've done over the course of the last, um, you know, maybe three or four months, I, I'm just going to tell a very quick story. Um, I, was, I was late to work one day, rushed into the shower, I hurried out of the shower. And, um, you know, I had the TV on, and uh, there was a documentary about Mickey Mantle, you know, um, that was on, and Mickey Mantle, one of the greatest baseball players of all time, you know, um, playing for my rival, you know, the arch enemy, you know, the Yankees. Um, and, uh, and he, you know, he talks about how his career, his baseball career, even though he was a Hall of Famer, his baseball career plummeted towards the latter years of his career because of the excessive drinking and, the, and, the, and just excessive, you know, all the, all the um, inability to rest. He was restless all the time. And he kind of explains it in his interviews. You know, he kind of had a death wish. His parents, his family, throughout generations, they all died early, and so he figured, I'm just gonna die early. You know, so I'm just gonna I'm just gonna play it out all the way. And he just ran hard in every way. And I was, conf- you know, I I had literally watched the entire documentary. I was late. I came. I went into work at noon that day. <laughs> you know, I just sat there and I watched this documentary, and and I was just mesmerized. And I, you know, um, you know, it wasn't like God was speaking to me directly through Mickey Mantle. You know, although at the end, it ends with a commercial that he had in the 80s. Right before he died, he was diagnosed with cancer. And he set up a press conference on the spot. It's one of the few times it's ever happened in American history, actually. And he said, you know, I know I'm a role model. Well, here's your role model. I was a fool. I was stupid. Don't be like me. And I sat there and I said, I don't want to. <laughs> you know, I responded. You know, I, I said, I don't want to do this. Um, I don't want to be like him. And and. Uh, um, I, I've been through a, a tremendous period of repentance over the last couple of months. Um, I've been limiting my productivity. It's, it's hard. It is incredibly hard. You know, um, you know, my wife comes home and I'm working and I'm working and working. At one point, I just say, you know what? I'm going to stop. I'm going to be with my wife. You know, and that is hard sometimes, not being with my wife, but it's hard, you know, w- stopping the work. It's incredibly hard stopping the work. And, um, uh, you know, just really being able to just enjoy prayer more. To be able to enjoy just looking into the Word. Not because I have to. Not because I'm preparing a sermon. Because, just because, man, I just really enjoy the Word. To be able to rest with my family. To be able to rest with friends. To be able to work out, jog. I gained eight pounds last year. You know, from last last August to, to this August, you know, I gained eight pounds. I got my goal is to lose it all. I, I got to lose it all. You know, and, and all those kind of things. And to be able to just sit and just watch a baseball game. Just to watch the baseball game. All these kind of things. Um, and to be able to worship with you and to be able to say, yes, I'm resting, I'm enjoying, be just being in the presence of the Father. But it takes, it takes, uh, you know, I'm, a, I'm an addict. And you know what an addict is? An addict is once you get a taste, you go right back into it. So I'm suffering. And as I ask for your prayer... And I'm confessing, you know, I am, I'm overworked and I, I'm overworking and it's all me. It's not because I'm, I, there's no one I can blame. It's me. If, it's, if it wasn't this church, it would be something else. You know, I, I guarantee you, that's just my character. But I know that we're all overworking, every one of us, because you look tired. Will you find your rest in Christ? Because it is finished. That's where it begins. Let's do that together, shall we? Let's pray. As I, as I call up... Um, uh, Pastor Greg Hobal, who will be leading us in communion